And God, how amazing and how wonderful and how hopeful is that that Christ would literally take off his crown to take on our soul. That, that he would give his time, his best self to embrace us and love us and show us who we can really be through Christ. We stand in awe of that today and at this moment and in these moments. Just give us a taste of how amazing that unconditional love really is and make it real for us today. If we've not felt it for a while, help us to feel it again. Amen. You don't have to be gay, bisexual, lesbian, transgender to have a broke back mountain experience. And a broke back mountain experience, that, that experience of exclusion, is not limited to any given time in history. Those feelings of exclusion, those feelings of being cursed, those feelings of inaction and isolation and confusion and frustration have, have happened through the centuries. It's, it's part of being human. Today's gospel is like that. In today's gospel, we see a father and son on their broke back mountain. We see this child who from a very early time was demon-possessed. His father had tried to find all kinds of solutions and responses to that possession. Jesus, perhaps, was his last hope. He'd heard of the powers of Jesus, the healing strength of Jesus. And in our gospel lesson today, the father takes his son to Jesus to be healed from demon possession. Demon possession was a broke-back type of experience because demon possession led to incredible exclusion. A person who was demon-possessed was not welcome in the church, so they were excluded from the community. As a result of being excluded from the community, they were excluded from love. And ultimately, it meant this sense of exclusion from God because demon possession came with this stigma that this person had to be evil to have that kind of response. We have since learned that what's described as demon possession in this scripture was probably actually a physical condition. It was probably some form of ep epilepsy. But at that time, they didn't know that. If they couldn't understand something, they oftentimes called it demon possession. So we have this father and this son going through this desperate, broke-back experience. But ultimately, there is tremendous hope revealed in this passage. Because ultimately, Jesus heals this child and lifts him up and frees him. That is an incredibly hopeful story. But sometimes it takes a while to get off broke back. Sometimes it takes a while to find our way to hope. As I look at this gospel lesson, I see that 
even though this child was healed and this father's efforts led to being saved from broke back, that oftentimes it doesn't happen so quickly. And there are some connections between this gospel story today and the movie Brokeback Mountain. In both these stories, we see the influence of a father on a son. In our gospel lesson, it is incredibly powerful, hopeful influence. The father is instrumental in his son's healing. In the movie Brokeback Mountain, we see an opposite scenario. The father is actually instrumental in his son's woundedness. One of the most painful moments in Brokeback Mountain is a flashback scene where Ennis is taken back to when he's nine years old. In the neighborhood where they live, there in the country, there was a couple of men who were ranching together, had ranched together for many years. Their names were Rich and Earl. And the neighbors kind of joked about them, teased them under their breath. Ennis oftentimes heard his father denigrate Rich and Earl. The sad moment comes when Earl is beaten to death with a tire iron and left in an irrigation ditch. Ennis's father wants to make sure that Ennis gets the lesson. That this, this is what happens when men fall in love. So Ennis's father takes him to that irrigation ditch and forces him to see Earl there in the ditch, beaten to death with a tire iron. It was one of the most pivotal and destructive moments in Ennis's life. It was a moment that internalized exclusion into his heart. At nine years old, Ennis got the message. If you fall in love with a man, you're going to die. And it had that impact on his relationship with Jack. Their dreams could not become true because Ennis was so influenced by that moment at the hands of his father. That moment when his father marred him and scarred him. Another commonality between the two stories. In both stories, we see at-risk youth. In the gospel story, it's a physical condition that they understood to be demon possession. In Brokeback Mountain, the at-risk youth are Jack and Ennis, who meet when they're 19. Didn't have a whole lot of concept of what it meant to be young and gay and in love. And as I read this gospel story, I couldn't help but ask myself, why couldn't they have had a parent like the parent in the gospel? Someone who would take them to that place of healing and wholeness. And it made me think of all the GLBT youth currently struggling with their identity and with their faith. In some cases, they're afraid to tell their parents. And so they're holding these feelings inside. Other times... Their parents have discovered or found out, and their parents haven't known how to deal with it. In some cases, the parents have rejected them. 
So we have a situation where the parents are on broke back, the kids are on broke back, and there appears to be no solution. There appears to be hopelessness. As I look at this gospel passage, I find my soul crying out, who will carry our GLBT youth to wholeness and healing and hope? Who will take our GLBT youth off a broke back mountain? Is there somebody somewhere who cares enough to make the effort, to make the move, to be creative, to build the relationships? Is there a church somewhere willing to say, this is a safe place to come and discover the God who loves you and the God who created you? I cannot read this gospel without feeling a hope and a passion stirring in me that we can be that church and we can be that people. That this can be a church of the broke back breakthrough. Some would say that things are getting better for GLBT youth. And there are some signs that point to that. Just back in 1997, there were only 100 high schools in the entire country who had a gay-straight student alliance. As of this past October, there were 3,000 high schools in our country that had gay and straight student alliances. How amazing is that? That's progress. Lots of wonderful things are happening in terms of the movement of our society towards acceptance and tolerance of GLBT youth. That sounds good. There is a downside. This change has not gone unnoticed by churches on the radical right. Rather than seeing hope in what's happening in the society at large, many of the fundamentalist churches feel they need to speak out against this movement. So many fundamentalist churches have now stepped up their efforts to try to save GLBT youth. One of the umbrella organizations for this movement that I believe is threatening the souls of GLBT youth is called Exodus. They've now started a program where they bring GLBT youth together for a youth camp. (laughs) You can imagine what that's like. Part of what they try to do is to make the kids come to an appreciation of gender-appropriate activities. In other words, the young men are forced to play football and the girls aren't allowed to play. I'm not making this up. (laughs) This was in Time magazine. And the girls are forced to stay inside and participate in discussion groups. Something else that's happening that's even more dangerous is that these young people, these teens, are subjected to testimonies from older adults who say they were able to be healed from being gay or lesbian. And they tell their stories. And in some cases, it's actually an ex-gay man and an ex-lesbian who end up getting married somehow. And they stand together and they give their testimony. The tragedy is, is that they've gone back and reviewed these cases. They have found that most of these adults have later recanted the supposed change that God did in their life. But in the meantime, the GLBT youth has already heard that message and the damage is already done. 
What's sad here is that these souls are so precious. These GLBT youth, they, they want to please their family. Many of them have a deep desire to please God. And so they buy into that message. And they sit there in their Sunday schools feeling that something must be desperately wrong with them. And their youth pastor and their Sunday school teacher says, just believe more, just pray more. And if they don't change, the message is something's wrong with them. And the sad thing here is that these sort of messages can be incredibly destructive. I want to share with you an excerpt from the journal of one gay teen named Bobby. Bobby was a sensitive, smart, intelligent kid who wanted nothing more than to please God. This is an excerpt from his journal when he was 16 years old, written on May 18th, 1979. Dear God, are you there? I ask because I don't really know. Sometimes I hurt so bad and I'm scared and alone. And I wonder why you or somebody doesn't help. I'm so mad and frustrated. I seem to be at the end of the road. Oh God, why do you remain silent? Now May 30th. Gentle springtime weather surrounds me. But a fierce, unrelenting storm rages inside me. How much more can I take? Only time and a million tears of bitterness will tell. I guess I am slowly sinking in a vast lake of quicksand, a bottomless pool of death. I wish I could crawl under a rock and sleep for the rest of time. The next day, June 1st. I'm scared of the person I could grow up to be. Oh, how I hope the changes in myself ahead of me are good ones. A little bit later, Bobby writes this letter to God. Why did you do this to me, God? Am I going to hell? That's the gnawing question that always drills little holes in the back of my mind. God, I'm really not that bad, am I? Lord, I really hate myself for being so weak. God, I want to be good. I want to amount to something. God, I need your seal of approval. If I had that, I would be happy. Where's my faith? I need to know that this world isn't spinning around and around for the hell of it. I need to know that you did make this world, that you made everything for a good reason. I don't want anyone to ever read this. They would hate me. I'm rotten inside. And then everyone would know. Oh God, I make myself sick. I'm a joke. For the next three years, Bobby did everything he could to change. I've just shared with you one excerpt from his journal. He, he wrote so many more wrenching statements. He went to his youth pastor and explained to his youth pastor what he was going through. And his youth pastor said, the party line 
uh, you just need to ask for forgiveness. Homosexuality is a sin. He began a discipleship program where he spent an hour in prayer every morning. He worked on his physical condition. He tried to bring it all together. Bobby actually called it Project Alter Ego. He was so desperate to change. His family found out he was gay. They also got more involved in their church. It was a Presbyterian church in Concord, California. They all prayed together. The church surrounded them in prayer. They put everything on the altar. But three years later, Bobby jumped off a bridge in Portland, Oregon and died. That's why there needs to be a church like Resurrection, a place that offers hope, a place that offers a view of God who doesn't create us to beat us up. The family was left to, dealt with the, to deal with the aftermath. The mother, Mary Griffith, couldn't understand why God didn't answer her prayers. Three years after Bobby's death, she was still wrestling with where was God and the whys. Three years later, she was still on her broke back. And this is her story in her own words. God, how can we help people feel needed so they will not want to leave this world? Lord, how can we ever get along without our dear sweet Bobby? When Jesus died on the cross, his mother watched his suffering. But Jesus rose from the grave, and she saw him and knew all was well with him. I didn't get to say even goodbye to Bobby. Nothing. God, why did you allow him to end up hating himself? You could have given Bobby something or someone to hang on to, but you didn't. You didn't want Bobby to live happily, so why send someone to this earth to be miserable? Ever since we discovered he was gay, it's like his life was over, and I didn't help to make it better. So, Lord, you're the only one with the answers to Bobby's life, so I would appreciate your input on this whole matter, especially since there are a lot of Bobbies stumbling around down here. Is time going to make me stop hurting, Lord, or will you? A mother's heart. A mother feeling incredible guilt because she felt that she had somehow played a role in her son's death. That in her efforts to get him to change, she had fed into that. I'm not going to leave you all on Brokeback Mountain today. Because our God is a God of hope. And what I want to say is, yes, she wrote these words three years later. She struggled for those three years. And her journal is just as wrenching as her son's journal. But she continued to call out to God. And she continued to overturn every stone. And ultimately, someone told her about the MCC in Concord, California. And that was the turning point for her. That church, that MCC in Concord, California, got her off Brokeback Mountain. She had many sessions meeting with the pastor there, and he talked to her about how the scriptures had been misinterpreted. He talked to her about a God of unconditional love. He gave her a whole new view of how faith and spirit and Christianity is ultimately about being all we can be in the name of Christ. 
living our best potential and our best selves, living that salvation and that wholeness day by day. One of the questions she had after she'd met with that pastor was, how can I ever forgive myself? And the pastor encouraged her to write a letter to Bobby asking for his forgiveness and putting it all into perspective. I want you to hear this letter because you will see how far she came. This letter she writes once she's gotten off Brokeback Mountain and has moved to a place of hope. Her letter to Bobby. Dearest Bobby, it's been almost three years since you moved in with God. As a religious, hard-nosed Bible thumper for 21 years, I almost rested on the cliché, God's will be done. We were thoroughly indoctrinated to believe that as a homosexual person, your way of life would be corrupt and sinful. As a result of these beliefs, a terrible injustice was done to you. The Christian Church has continued to remain in its ignorance, homophobia, prejudice, and pride. I am sorry your family went along in blind agreement with the Church's views concerning the gay and lesbian community. I have since learned the correct interpretations in the Bible. It is obvious to me now that we have been tragically misinformed. Bobby, like many parents, I thought I knew it all. As this letter will testify, I am listening now, and I like what God is teaching me. Bobby, I am a firm believer that it is never too late to make things right with you or anyone else I may have wronged unknowingly. I am trying to bind the wounds of God's gay and lesbian children. Bobby, you were the apple of God's eye, just as you were if we had only known. Bobby, you were the apple of God's eye, just as you were. That is the Brokeback Breakthrough. That's the message that we as a church and a people are called to get out. There are G and LBT youth out there in the community who need to hear that simple but powerful message. You are the apple of God's eye, just as you are. You don't have to butch it up. You don't have to tone it down. You don't have to change who you are. God created you fearfully and awesomely and wonderfully. You are sensitive. You are uniquely made. You are the apple of God's eye. Now for the reality check. The smallest single demographic at resurrection is the age group most at risk. If you look around, you'll see that the age group we are most missing are those in the 82, 18 to 34 age group. My prayer is that God will renew our vision and our passion for offering this message of hope and unconditional love and inclusion to GLBT youth. 
And my prayer is that one year from today, each one of us will be sitting next to someone in that age group. We need energy and passion around this, and I'm pleased that Reverend Wayne is already working on some ideas for perhaps a different worship service that might appeal more to that age group. I have a vision and hope that we will have our own coffee shop in the Montrose that will be a drop-in center for GLBT youth. I want to see more programs and more partnerships because Bobby needs us. I pray that every GLBT youth who walks on this property will know that this is a place where they are the apple of God's eye. My prayer is that resurrection would be a place beyond Brokeback. Not a place of condemnation, but a place of communication. Not a place of disgrace, but a place of amazing grace. Not a place of hopelessness, but a place of hope. Not a place of fear, but a place of courage. Not a place of rejection, but a place of acceptance. Not a place of curse, but a place of blessing. Not a place of exclusion, but a place of inclusion. Resurrection. A place beyond broke back. If you're comfortable, take the hand of someone nearby. God, we thank you for the hope that is ours. We thank you, God, that you do care about your beloved children, be it that young child in the gospel today who you healed and lifted up, or be it that teen today desperately searching for love. We know that you care. And God, I pray that you would make us a church that cares about the things you care about. I pray that you would give us an energy and a passion to love and to minister and to reach out like we've never loved and ministered and reached out before. We give these dreams and visions to you, knowing that you call us back into a community back into love, and most of all, back into you. Jesus Christ, giver of grace, have mercy on us as individuals. Jesus Christ, giver of grace, have mercy on this your church. Jesus Christ, giver of grace, have mercy on your world, and hear the prayers of your people who pray. Amen.